This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome, welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, July 13th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And I think a fairly momentous day for various reasons, but the big reason was we had quite the turnaround in markets, and it was mainly uh, in regards to growth stocks. Growth stocks had a big, big rollover. The NASDAQ had a big rollover. Uh, and if you watched my YouTube market analysis on Friday, you'll have seen I kind of talked about that, that even though the market was generally fine on Friday, there was a big dispersion between growth and value stocks that you hadn't seen in a while, where growth stocks drastically underperformed in a big way on Friday, even though all the indexes were up uh, and you had a pretty big fall through today. You kind of had, they tried to recover it earlier in the day and you know, you had the rollover and your Teslas of the world and your Googles of the world. All these growth stocks had a pretty big uh, inflection point. And you'll know based on that video on Friday was that the market is heavily, heavily, weighted towards the fang names right these growthy names and if they reverse then the market is likely to reverse now what's interesting about that is this coincides with at least here in california right where the I believe they're the largest ec- uh, state economically uh it was announced by gavin newsom our governor that we're shutting down a bunch of different type of there it is, I'm just pulling it up here. A bunch of different type of indoor operations, fitness centers, places of worship, non-critical offices, personal care services, hair salons, barbershops, and malls. So these will all be shut down for at least the time being. So it's I think this goes back to phase two. Uh, And certainly that's going to crimp the economic activity. Now, a lot of people will say, well, this is, this is bad. This is, this, this is, this is the wrong thing to do. Well, you, you can certainly argue that. But if you look at Open Table's restaurant trends, it's pretty much been in a decline in most of the hardest impacted states since uh, early June, early, call it mid June. And so people are voting with their their wallets, their their feet, I guess you could say, and they're not going out to restaurants nearly as much. And you saw this pre the first shutdown, right? So I'm sure that had something to do with it here, right? Because economic Activity is going to slow down once again. Now, how much? We'll see. I'm sure people still want to live somewhat of a normal life. But once again, we're this is not going anywhere, people. Remember, we are in this time 
in the fourth turning. This is the year that sets the tone for the decade. This isn't an anomaly year. So we should be expecting lots of change. Now it's unpredictable exactly how it's going to unfold, but we should be prepared for this change and this volatility. And we're going to see a February March again at some point. But then what's the next phase of reactions from Federal Reserve, from government? And not just on the national level, but state level as well. So our job here each and every weekday is to help you navigate these volatile waters, these these uncertain times. And our, we're going to do our best to give you unbiased answers. And we do that by taking your calls, either live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can call after hours, leave a message at 888-99-CHART, and we will answer it on a future show. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. We're different. Steve and I are different than other investment advisors because we are dedicated to the unbiased guidance and we practice parallel investing. So we invest right alongside our clients. Now that I've set things up for the day, I'm ready to take your calls. Once again, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now with everything that's going on, we have postponed all trips to meet with listeners, clients, but we are more than happy to set up a no-cost, no-obligation portfolio review assessment, VF telephone, Skype, or Jive meeting as well. You can reach out to us at investtalk.com. Now, my focus point today concerns the story. The exchange-traded fund market has a big new investor, the Federal Reserve. Like I said at the top, Fed is reacting, has reacted. What does that look like in the marketplace? How much have they spent? What are their flows? How much are they dominating that market? And to me, this is a precursor to their next phase, which is buying equities. They're already doing that. And, you know, they bailed the Treasury, bailed out uh, YRCW, gave them about seven hundred million dollars in exchange for, I believe, twenty something percent of their equity. So now they own equity. Right? They're they're just starting this. We are Japan, right? We have the same policy responses as Japan. What did Japan do during their crisis in the early 90s? Well, they didn't let companies go bankrupt. They didn't let banks go bankrupt. They just combined them. And that slowed down their economic activity. What did we do? Outside of Lehman, we did the same thing. Now we have a more robust economy, better demographics. We have a lot more going for us than Japan. But our policy response has basically been the same, right? They did QE before we ever did QE. They bought bonds before we ever bought corporate bonds. And they've already bought equities. So guess what? That's where we will go next, at least the Fed will. So we're going to touch on 
that particular issue and what that means for markets. Also, earnings season's coming up, and there's a big dispersion in forecasts, and we're going to discuss why and what that might mean for markets as we enter earnings season this week. And then lastly, bankruptcy rules. They've changed, and it actually happened before COVID. Was in 2019. It was a change to bankruptcy laws for smaller businesses. And that's more prescient today because of the economic backdrop. So we're going to touch on that and what that might mean for small businesses in general and the broader economy. And remember, I like bankruptcy. So I think this is actually a good thing to touch on. Now I want to hear from you. I want to know what's on your mind. Your participation is an important part of the mix. So we're taking your calls live right now at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. It's Monday. Justin Klein is here. And if you've been watching the news and market volatility, you're going to have finance and investment questions. The phone lines are open, and Justin is taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hey there, this is Noah in Florida. I had a question about waste management, ticker symbol WM. I took a half position in it, and I like the long term projectives of it. I uh, just wanted to get your opinion on it. Also, another question on the infrastructure plan that was uh, gaining steam in the uh, coming up. I saw it's like a $1 trillion deal coming through. Wanted to know if that's already priced into the market. I've been hearing different talks about it for about about around a year um, and wanted to see if there are any sectors that would be good plays on this moving forward. Thanks. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Well, there certainly are some good plays for the infrastructure bill, but it all depends on who's passing it. Right? Does it get passed before the election? I don't think so. Now, will a stimulus package be passed? Yeah. You know, there'll be some sort of extension for unemployment benefits and, and other aspects to boost the economy, get, get money in people's pockets. Right, We've, We're entering a world where money is going, the, the, the government's going to put money in people's pockets and the Fed is going to print money and able to do that. So that's going to happen. But the infrastructure bill, I don't think, happens until after the election. And then a lot depends on who wins. If it's Trump, then if it's more your materials, right? Cement, he's going to want to build bridges and tunnels and roads, kind of your brick and mortar, uh, your normal brick and mortar type of industries. Maybe there will be some green aspect to it, but the green aspect would be way more towards if, say, Biden wins, right? There's going to be a focus there. Maybe focus on laying fiber and infrastructure for high-speed internet. So, I think both would modernize the electrical grid, 
So those are areas that uh, we're focused on as well. But I don't think either that none of that happens till after the election, uh, because I don't think the Democrats want to pass something that Trump would want when they know that they could possibly pass something that's more green focused, you know, soon after. Uh, now for waste management, this is a name that long term, I think will be fine. Right, they, this they, they collect trash, and we're always going to need to uh, have somebody collect our trash. Now, this is in a downtrend; it's weak compared to the overall uh, market, and that's why I would pass on it for now. The weekly chart looks very, very poor, and I think it's going to break down with the rest of the market as well. Now, the big question is, when do you buy it? Because it's certainly on my watch list. It's a it's a great company. Uh, consistent business. And, however, they do have some cyclicality to their business because of recycling's become a big part of their business. And in times like this, recycling demand goes down. Okay. Uh, you know, disposals of equipment, things like that, that goes down, right? So uh, it's certainly impacted by the economy in some way. And if you look at valuations, we're at 13 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Longer term, this typically trades in the high single digits. So I think it needs to come down much, much more. And I'm, targe I'm targeting the $75 area. 104 right now, 75 is where I would want to pick it up. So that's my target, and I would absolutely keep it on your watch list. Let's go to Carl in Ocean's... Okay, we're going to go to Carl on the other side after the break. You listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Steve and I have recorded our answers to 30 voice bank questions. It's called the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour Bonus Podcast. And we answer all of these voicemail questions at a faster pace. So tell your friends, and they can hear the new June bonus show at investtalk.com. It is a free download. You can also find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Just search InvestTalk. And now I'm here ready to take your calls live at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to InvestTalk. As we move through the hot months of July and August... You might want to be sure that your investment portfolio is balanced. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can provide unbiased advice, but you've got to call with your questions. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Let's go to Carl in Oceanside looking at Boston Private Financial Holdings. Interesting one you got here. Are you looking to buy it or are you doing it? Yes, I'm planning to buy it. I'm wondering about the company. Well, the biggest issue here is they have a lot of debt, a highly leveraged balance sheet, and that's the biggest issue here. Now, so far, their revenue has not fallen off, though it has been declining from about 300 and let's call it roughly $400 million dollars back in early 18. Now we're at 324 million as of the close. Let's see, December, yeah. This is the last quarter. So what is their, what's their business gonna look like 
for the next couple of years. You know, revenue's been down five quarters in a row. Earnings last quarter were down 37%. Earnings are expected to drop 60% this year. You're probably after that nice 7.9% dividend, correct? Yes. Okay, but well... I think they cannot they cannot keep the dividend. Okay. If you don't think... I, I agree with you if their revenue falls to the level that they did in 08. In 08, revenue fell from a high of, let's see, 420, caught 446 million, all the way to as low as 178 million. So with that debt load, that becomes difficult for them to maintain uh, that dividend. Now, I also look at, did they cut it last time? And they did, right? In 08, they were, they were paying out 10%, not 10%, $0.10 cents per share, and they cut it down to a penny. So I could easily see that happening, cutting it down to a penny from here, which means that 8% yield would go to uh, sub one, probably like half a percent. So if you're after that yield, unlikely they're going to keep that, I think, in at least the, the medium term, and they're probably going to try to repair their balance sheet, which is pretty leveraged. Uh, now, they this is a private, uh, it's, it's a holding company for Boston Private Bank, and what they do is wealth management, uh, private equity. They have uh, a lot of different arms to their business, family offices, private banking, et cetera. So in the finance field, and certainly that's an area that's going to, to struggle somewhat. Um, so if you're after that yield, I don't think that's going to be sustained, at least in the medium term. Thanks for the call, Carl. 888 chart, 888 We have about 30 minutes left in the show. So get your call in now. Now, my focus point today is in regards to the Fed's activity in the ETF market. And they're now a big, big buyer of many of the largest ETFs in the marketplace today. Now, they announced this program, which is really bypassing the Fed's mandate. The Fed is only supposed to buy assets that are backed by the government, right? Treasuries and Fannie and Freddie securities. That's basically what they had been buying in the past, you know, post-financial crisis, QE1, 2, and 3. Now they've created what is called a special purpose entity, and they've printed money and they funded it at the treasury, and the treasury is guaranteeing The assets. So that's how they're kind of getting around it. So you, your tax, you as the taxpayer are backing the assets that are within these ETFs. Now, what are they buying, for example? Well, they're buying corporate bond ETFs like LQD and IGSB, which are investment grade. But they're also buying a lot of junk bonds as well. About 37% of the fund flows since May 12th has gone into J&K, the Spiders Junk Bond ETF. The 46% of the flow into HYLB, which is the Extractors High Yield Bond ETF, also is coming from the Fed. So they're certainly dabbling in the high yield bond market there are you know there's a few other 
high yield bond ETFs as well. But they, they're starting to dominate the flow for many of them. And they now rank as a top 10 holder of many of the ETFs that it's been acquiring. And once again, this is the start. This is the, they've crossed the Rubicon, shall you say. And it's been supporting the prices of these securities, which is helping people who own assets, right? Typically the wealthy, uh, banks, private equity funds, hedge funds. So it's helping them and their balance sheets, keeping the asset values up. But is it flowing to the economy is the question. And kind of the answer is no, not really. It's not. Because those people that these asset values are supporting, their marginal propensity to spend is very low, right? The wealthy, eh, they're a little more, a little more wealthy, they're not really going to go spend. So it's not really getting to the people quite yet. And I think that's the issue here, is how do they get this printed money to the people as opposed to simply inflating asset prices, which I think is the next phase of the crisis. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses 
that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, this is Dave in LA. Uh, this question is for Justin. Justin, you mentioned the uh, fourth turning a lot. You mentioned that gold is the asset to own this decade and that there may be many years of strife and instability in the next five to 10 years. I'm just wondering how bad you see this getting. From a standpoint of gold, are you advocating loading up on physical gold that has to be stored and possessed because we're in sort of a Mad Max scenario? Or are you okay with owning miners or uh, GLD or IAU, paper gold, as they say? Just interested to hear more on why you see this as the asset to own in the next decade and whether you can clarify how dire you see things getting. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, I'll say I don't think it's going to be a Mad Max scenario. I'll say that. Uh, I don't think the civili- civilization is going to disintegrate or anything like that. That's way too extreme. Uh, so I'm fine with owning what people in the industry would call paper assets, right? Gold miners, uh, for example, mainly because I want to own the best. I want to own those that are uh, finding new new supply of gold, uh, and the upside tends to be much, much larger for those names as well. So I'm fine with that. When I talk about the for- fourth turning, or you know, you can go read the book. Uh, it's very prescient uh, in today's world. Remember, this is written in 97, so uh, this isn't something that's just kind of talking about today. It's studying history and the cycles of history and how generations interact with each other and how major events impact different generations and thus how they deal with the future and their mindset. Remember, this is about aggregates, not about one particular person from a certain generation. It's how the aggregate reacts and those cycles interacting with each other. And so this is simply a time of change. We are in an era, or a decade now, I don't think it'll be till the end of the decade, five, six, seven years from now, where the world's going to look very different. You see that today. The world is, looks different. We're not going back to the old world. The old world is gone. 
it is the new world. Now it's just how do you, how do, how do governments, how do p- the people change the way the world is going to work for decades to come? And that's really what it's about. It's reinstilling the trust in institutions. And that's what the, the, the turnings are about, right? There's four turnings. You have the high. This was post-World War II. The last time we had it from the mid 40s into the mid 60s. And you have the awakening, right? The, the high is kind of like the spring. You have the awakening. That's when you, you, people realize, oh, wait, politicians and, and companies can be shady, right? You had Whitewater, sorry, Watergate. You had the Vietnam War, right? All of these and many others, but it shows that these institutions can't always just be trusted like everyone thought kind of post-World War II. Then you have the unraveling, which is the 80s and 90s, the rise of the individual, the rise of entrepreneurship, and increasing distrust in institutions, government, corporations. And you get to where you are today, right? Where you can see that. Think of the divisiveness. And a lot of that has to do with the lack of trust in our larger institutions. And so it's really about how do we reinstill, and that will happen. We will, we will reinstill our trust in institutions. It's just how does that change come about? History says it could be war. Now, I don't think it's going to be war because nuclear weapons. I think it's going to be more of an economic war, maybe with China. Maybe it's a change of how our government works. Maybe the lobbyist system, maybe a two-party system. There's a lot of change that you know can happen. And in times like this, times of stress, those changes come about more often and more likely to happen. And it's not going to happen in a year or two years. It's probably going to be a little while. That's how... Kind of see the next five, six, seven years. And that's why I think gold is, is important because inflation is likely with disruption of supply chains and businesses and governments. It's likely the asset to own for the decade. Hope that gave you a little bit of clarity. And no, I don't think we're going to Mad Max. It's just time for change. Let's go to James in New York. Looking at Alibaba. Yes, um, I sold my position in Alibaba some time ago. I took my profits. Um, mm-hmm. I just was reading today, though, that the founder uh, cut back on the pretty large stake of, of his holdings in the company. I was just wondering, like, as an example, what does that mean for a company like that when a founder does something, cutting back on its, its holdings in, in the company? Well, it puts more shares out there. Right, that so there's more supply of shares, so that's the first off. More shares in the float, shall you say. And it does send a message, at least to me and, and most market participants, that if the founder is selling off shares, what does that mean for his confidence in the leadership and the future of the company? So to me it sends a pretty poor signal. Do you think that it would be a good time to maybe consider shorting uh, shares of Alibaba? Yes, I do. Thanks for the call, James.
You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and economy is reopening, but it's shutting down. Once again, there's going to be a lot of volatility in this environment. But your retirement objectives aren't going to go away. So you need to take steps now to optimize your portfolio. So I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California. We want to help you. Whether you're a conservative investor, edging towards retirement, or maybe in retirement, you want to make sure you have safety of principle and income. We have investment strategies for that. If you're young, trying to achieve financial freedom goals while managing risk, we have strategies for that as well. So to get started with a no-cost portfolio review, please call or send us a message through investtalk.com. And now I'm here and ready to provide unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. We're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial Practices Parallel Investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. 8899 chart, 8899 I want to talk about bankruptcy, bankruptcy law. And this is a pretty interesting change to bankruptcy law. And there's two types of bankruptcy. There's Chapter 7 and there's Chapter 11. Now, Chapter 7 is liquidation. Take every asset of the company, you sell it off, get cash, and you pay off your creditors, usually at you know, 30, 40 cents in the dollar, but you pay them off. There's chapter 11, though, where it goes to a court and you renegotiate leases and you lower debts. And there are ways to take the company out of bankruptcy and keep it alive. Usually you get bridge financing, which keeps the operations going while you're going through the chapter 11 reorganization. And you come out on the other side, a more nimble company, less burdened by debt and leases that you don't want. And this is a very good thing. This is something a lot of people don't understand. Even governments say, oh, I don't want companies to go bankrupt. I'm trying to save all these companies. Well, guess what? Sometimes that's really good. Write down those debts. Allows companies to reinvest in themselves, in the economy, in their employees. And there's a new change in the laws, the bankruptcy laws, to cover smaller companies. 
Before, Chapter 11 was only for bigger companies that could afford the, the process. That was worthwhile. But there, the new law passed last year makes, makes it so many business owners are realizing that filing for bankruptcy might actually be a better option than struggling underneath all of this debt for an unpredictable amount of time, right? How long is this economic malaise going to last? A year? Five years? Now, what this new law is doing is it's allowing these smaller companies who used to just liquidate to renegotiate their leases, renegotiate their debts, and continue to operate at the same time. Now, Congress voted to change this last year when it passed the Small Business Reorganization Act, which was designed in part to preserve jobs, like I said. It's better for companies to file Chapter 11 and renegotiate and keep those workers working than file Chapter 7. So this is a great thing, I think. Now, it took effect in February, which very prescient. And in March, the CARES Act actually lowered the eligibility to companies with $7.5 million or less in liabilities. It's been the most significant change in the bankruptcy code since about 2005. Now, so far, bankruptcies are actually still down from 2009 over the same period, the first half. But you're starting to see that pick up, right? Because before, federal stimulus, grace periods, that was that was helping a lot of companies stay in business. But more than 500 companies filed for bankruptcy under the small business, business bankruptcy rule since February. And the top one month was June, 131 cases. So you're starting to see that upward trajectory. And this is a great thing. This is a lesson that everybody, I think, needs to, needs to understand. Right? They need, you need to realize that, hey, guess what? It's a good thing. Bankruptcy Chapter 11 is a good thing. It keeps more workers working as opposed to struggling under the weight of that debt. And then all the cash flow of the business is going towards paying creditors. So I love this change. Now let's keep things moving. Here comes another caller question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is James from New Jersey. I had a question about N-Phase Energy. E-N-P-H. It was down 26% yesterday. I saw something about maybe its growth numbers being faked. I was wondering if you had any information and should I sell the stock that I have in it or should I buy more? Thank you. All right, looking at N-Phase Energy. I think I got a call about this maybe a month ago or so. And yeah, I believe they are in some class action lawsuits and there's a, a short hedge fund that came out with a report on it, if I remember correctly. And that's why I would definitely pass on this. Uh, you know, I, the SEC right now is an absolute disaster. 
They are asleep at the wheel on so many of these companies that are in the marketplace today. It's the Wild West. There is very little oversight and regulation. Uh, you know, there's companies that are faking earnings, faking numbers, both from China and elsewhere. Uh, you have come, you have, you have CEOs breaking security laws and, you know, getting a slap on the wrist. So the fact that this is out here wouldn't shock me. The fact that this might be a fraud in some way also would not shock me either. So I would certainly pass on it. I think it's, uh, there's too many other, Good companies that are doing well, even in this space, right? This is in, I believe, in the clean energy space, yeah, in the solar uh, space. And there's there's a lot of great companies out there uh, that you don't need to deal with. It's a $6.6 billion market cap. There are plenty others with around that size that are not accused of being frauds. So usually when there's smoke, there's fire, at least in my experience. Now, the next and best talk, China's stock market just jumped 6%, but is that good for the U.S.? And now one of the biggest questions for the market is, to what extent are global economies intertwined? Story tomorrow. Now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. 2019 is in the record books, and we are now into a new year and a new decade. The health of your financial future may depend on the decisions you start making now in 2020. Justin Klein is here, ready to provide his unbiased investment guidance, and the phone lines are open. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve. My name is Brian, and I'm 21, and I've been investing for about a year now. And my friends recently got into it, and they're all using Robinhood. I'm having difficulty explaining to them why Robinhood isn't the safest and the smartest platform to use for investing. I'm having trouble telling them why. Could you please put in layman's terms why you aren't really a fan of Robinhood? Thank you. Love your show. Well, this is an easy one. Just go back and look at the history of the Robinhood trading app going down compared to your bigger brokers, your your Schwab's, Fidelity's, TD Ameritrade's of the world, uh, they're all much, much better uh, from a reliability standpoint. And so so that's number one. Uh, number two, most young investors, they are only reason they use the Robinhood app is because it's easy to use. Great, it's easy to use. The UI is nice. It, you know, it, it looks and feels like a modern piece of a uh, modern app. Great, but that's not all you want from a broker. You want research, customer service, right? Try to get customer service from Robinhood. You're not going to get much. Right? They're selling off your order flow. That's how they make money. Now, I'm not saying the other ones don't do that to some degree, but by a dramatic, dramatic percentage compared to, uh, you know, th- those other brokers, they make money on bond trading and they have other ways to make money because they're bigger institutions. They're, they're more diversified. Robinhood makes money almost primarily by selling your order flow. 
and you get very little support beyond a nice looking and feeling app. Okay, research. TD Ameritrade is Thinkorswim platform is amazing for what you get for a retail investor. So much better. Now, is their app as good? No, but can you make a trade on it if you want to? Yeah. So the main reason people are using the Robinhood app because they haven't experienced anything else. Right? And they gain market share by having zero commissions. Well, guess what? Fidelity, Schwab, TD, they're all zero commissions on stock trades. I hope that clarified it for you. Now, lastly, I want to get to earnings. We're in the midst or about to start earnings season when JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and Netflix all report this week. Now, more than 180 companies in the S&P 500 have pulled earnings guidance for the second quarter. And what this has done is it's limiting the visibility for analysts and thus investors. Now, corporate um, earnings projections have fallen nearly 45% in the second quarter from the same quarter last year. All 11 sectors of the indexes are expected to post declines. Biggest declines will be in energy, consumer discretionary, and industrial companies as well. Now, profits are expected to continue to fall in the third and fourth quarter, but by less amounts, which shouldn't shock anyone. But what's interesting is that the dispersion, meaning the spread of analyst estimates for S&P 500 companies, is now up to 40 cents for the second quarter. And that was from 30 cents in the, in the first quarter. And on average, it ranges from about 9 to 16 cents over the last 13 years. So you can see how dramatically dispersed the analyst forecasts are for the coming quarter. And analysts are struggling with economic data as well, so that makes it even more difficult. You don't have a good sense of where the economic data is going to come in. A lot of that data feeds into earnings. There are models for that. So they're having to create new new, uh, new models, new spreadsheets, etc. And a lot of those analysts, quote, are looking at stock valuations going out two years because that's when earnings will probably fully recover. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I will return, actually, Steve will return tomorrow. In the meantime, please remember to download our new June Rapid Fire Hour bonus podcast. It is free. You can get it right now. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. 
For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART. 